Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Mario Mastin. For more podcasts and other resources, please visit www.vineyardportland.org. Okay, so we just, uh, let me have a look at the time. Okay, it's 5 to 11. Okay, so uh, you guys had a great Christmas, I hope. Every one of you, I've already said that, but let me say it again. We just came through that season celebrating Jesus. We had an amazing time here. Uh, I already referred to the fact of what Jericho was doing and leadership with the kids. The kids, the service they did here, that would have been last Sunday. It seems a long time ago now, but it was wonderful. Uh, and then we had a great uh, Christmas Eve service here that Brad kind of orchestrated that thing along. So it's been a, a wonderful time of celebration. Um, so we've come, we're actually, you know, just coming out of the end of what Christians call in the calendar, that season of Advent where we celebrate the, the fact that Jesus came, right? Jesus came. But what I want you to do this morning is we uh, are in this last Sunday of uh, 2018, is I want to encourage your hearts because in celebrating the fact that Jesus has come, that he came, It's a time of joy, looking back and celebrating the fact that God came in the form of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, to express himself perfectly to us. And we rejoice and celebrate the fact that Jesus came. What I want you to do with me this morning, and what I want to seek to do for you, is to encourage your hearts and have us encourage our hearts together about the fact that Jesus is coming. Not just that he came which he did, a la our Christmas decorations, our nativity scene, right? But that he is coming. He is. Now, as a vineyard church, and that's what we are, we're a church belonging to a tribe called Vineyard. We embrace the reality of God's kingdom as a distinctive core of our theology. That's what we're about. That's what we will always be about as a Vineyard Church. Our vision statement spells this out in two simple ways. We say that we are a people for the kingdom of God, a people expecting the inbreaking of God now. That we want to live with an expectation that God is breaking in now into time with his kingdom. And we're committed to that. And as such, we want to continually cultivate in our own lives individually and in our life collectively as a church, an expectation of God's manifest presence. To manifest something means to show it, to reveal it. So we're committed to the reality of God's manifest presence. God showing up in the now in a variety of different ways. Some of those Jim alluded to this morning when he was praying for blessing in the year to come. In other words, recognizing that the power of Jesus is present, and as Jesus said in John 5, 17, my Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So that God never takes a day off, God is always working. And yet we also embrace the reality that God's kingdom is not fully present now. It's present, but it's not fully present. Our vision statement says we are a people knowing that the fullness of his kingdom is not yet. 
So it's now breaking in, but it's not yet here fully in the way that it will be. This recognition is not just a way of balancing our theology so it doesn't get weird, distorted, or unbiblical. Though we don't want it to be weird, distorted, or unbiblical. But it's not just about that. It's not merely a salute to the fact that the world in which we live is not fully submitted to the rule and reign of God. Go home and turn your TV set on for five minutes and you'll realize that that's the case. We live in a world that is not fully submitted to the rule and reign of God. But our commitment to the not yet of the kingdom is not about primarily balancing our theology or a recognition of the fact that this world is broken and not fully submitted to the rule and reign of God yet. Instead, it is the full embrace of the meaning of the kingdom message that Jesus brought, taught, and demonstrated. The truth is we need to keep our eyes of faith on the future kingdom Every bit as much as we do keep our eyes of faith on the present manifestation of that kingdom and the past revelation of it that Jesus unveiled to us. In fact, I want to say this this morning, and I want you to hear this. Wipe this celebratory Christmas sleep out of your eyes and unblock your ears and listen to this, because I believe this to be true. It is only as we keep our focus on the future by faith, that we will cultivate the, our expectation of God's inbreaking in the present, which is catalyzed by faith. Let me say that again. It is always only as we keep our eyes of faith on the future that we will cultivate the expectation that God is going to break in in the present. And that breaking in is catalyzed and released by faith. Referring back to Jim's prayer again this morning, in a sense, that's the part that we get to play. God moves in power, we get to exercise faith, and when those two things are in a synchronous relationship with one another, what do we see? We see God manifest, right? So to see God in the present, you need to keep your eyes on the future. I believe that no one in the New Testament, apart from Jesus, knew this better than Paul the Apostle. No one saw more awesome, consistent manifestations of God's presence and power in the New Testament that I can see than the Apostle Paul, apart from Jesus. And yet no one had a greater focus and orientation to the future than did Paul. He knew that to live a kingdom life now we have to be oriented to the not yet. It was the hope of the future in Christ that empowered Paul through the Holy Spirit to live a life for Christ in the present. He never allowed the challenges, the failures, the hardships, the frustrations, the inequities, the injustices, the limitations, the offenses, and the opponents of the present to discourage him to the point that he gave up and checked out on the purpose of God. He never let that happen. And he didn't let that happen because he kept his focus on the promise of the coming kingdom. And he oriented his life 
towards the reality of the fullness of that coming kingdom. When God's rule and reign would invade the present. Nowhere does Paul make this future hope more clear than in his letter to the Christians that were living in a place called Thessalonica. And he wrote them two letters that we call First and Second Thessalonians. And I want to take a passage of Scripture this morning and speak to you and encourage your heart and mind with this hope that Paul had and that he expressed to the Thessalonians to encourage them. And let me just say this. He was writing to them because they were confused and they were discouraged about the Lord's return. They were in a place of hardship. Jesus hadn't come back. They were getting discouraged and they were confused about when he was going to come back. And so Paul wrote these words to them. And I want to take just a few verses from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18. And this is what he says. And what he is saying to them has echoed down through the last two millennia and God is saying to us this morning, as we're on the cusp of 2019, brothers, and I might add parenthetically, sisters, We do not want you to be ignorant. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. I'm not talking about people who do that when I'm preaching. I'm talking about that that's a euphemistic phrase. Sleep there refers to death. Okay, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This passage is one of the most hope-filled in the entire New Testament. In it, Paul provides four distinct promises related to the future that can be summed up in one phrase, and it's this, Jesus is coming. I don't know if you've ever seen one uh, of the things people, bumper stickers, People put in the back. I'm not a bumper sticker guy, but I remember one day driving down the road and seeing this bumper sticker, and it said, uh, Jesus is coming. Quick, look busy. That's what it said. Jesus is coming. Quick, look busy. The whole idea was slam the idea that Jesus is coming. Like, he's, he's an embarrassment. You don't want to, you know, it's like people you don't want to see look the other way. It was kind of a slam. It was kind of a mocking, you know, 
so that people can drive down the road and see that and laugh and yeah, yeah. Let me show you what Paul says about the Jesus that's coming. Because I want to encourage your hearts. And to do that this morning, you have to do something else. You have to take your eyes for a moment off the present and put them on the future. Reorient your thinking from the now to the not yet. And realign your focus today from what was and what is to what will be. God wants to encourage your heart this morning from his word. Not from some pop psychology, but from the eternal, immutable, unchanging word of God. He wants to encourage your heart as we come to the end of this year and we're on the cusp, as I said, of a new one. With these words from Paul and the four affirmations he makes to the Thessalonians. And in order to be benefited by the word that we receive, we need to mix faith with it. We're told that by the author of Hebrews. But we need to recognize that this word is the word of God and not just the word of men. Because that's what the Thessalonians did. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13b that they received the word not as the words of men, as it actually is the word of God. And that's what we need to do this morning. So here are the four things that Paul talks about in this passage that speak to the reality of that future hope that we have in Christ. And the first is this, he is going to return. The scripture says in the passage we read, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. Who is going to do that? The Lord himself. Paul is emphatic. He says it's the Lord that will come down from heaven. He's talking about Jesus. The word he uses to describe the Lord coming is one that was reserved for the visit of someone of high rank like an emperor or a king who may be visiting one of his promises. That's the kind of word that Paul deploys here when he talks about Jesus coming down from heaven. In other words, Paul is saying Jesus is coming, and when he does, it will be the Lord himself. He's not going to send a deputy to do it. He's not going to send a representative. It'll be him that comes down from heaven. He will come personally in power and great majesty. The second coming of Jesus is not going to be like the first one that we just celebrated through Christmas. He's not going to come in ignominy and obscurity like he did the first time around. Where nobody knew about it apart from a bunch of peasant shepherds on a hillside. The second time he comes... He's going to come with great glory. And he will be visible to all. It will be an awesome and dramatic return of Jesus. Paul says he will come with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. The message, which you know I like to quote from, Puts it this way, the master himself will give the command. 
Archangel thunder, God's trumpet blast. John the Apostle, writing prophetically of Jesus' return, says this, Look! Look! Focus your gaze! Look! He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. Revelation 1.7 There will be an authoritative declaration from the Lord himself, even as he appears, announcing the end of the present age and the beginning of the age to come. The truth is, when he comes, we will see him. And for us that are in Christ, it will not be a case of mourning, but a case of rejoicing. The one we love, the one we have longed for, the one who redeemed us, the one who commissioned us, the one who calls us by name as friends, we will see. We will see him in his glory and his majesty as the King of kings and Lord of lords. As the lamb that was slain. As the bright and morning star. We will not have to sing if I can only imagine because we will see him. And we will see him as he is. And that amazingly, as John tells us in his letter... We will be like him. His words ring with hope and encouragement. John says this in 1 John 3 in the second part of the second verse. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let that hope purify your heart this morning. Not only with the future reality that your inheritance is assured, but with the present reality that every day you are getting closer to seeing him. And whatever each day brings, whatever each day brings, it is a stepping stone to the glory in the presence of Jesus. Let that truth encourage your heart today. Because not every day is going to be an easy day. Not every day is going to be a day in which what you want to see happen, happens. But know this, that every day is a step closer to the glory of the manifest, visible presence of Jesus Christ, the glorified Lord. He's going to return. The second thing that Paul says in this passage is this. He's going to raise the dead. We sang about that this morning. I don't know if you caught that refrain about the promise of rising in him. And he said, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus isn't going to appear in a visible and glorious way such that we see him alone. Though he is going to do that as we just said. He's going to release power that will raise the dead. Paul tells us that the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, I mentioned earlier, the reason for writing this letter to the Thessalonians was in part to deal with their confusion and discouragement about the Lord's return. The believers in Thessalonica were troubled about when the Lord would come back and what would happen to their brothers and sisters 
in Christ who had already died. So Paul addresses this issue when he says, Brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. And as I said, sleep is a euphemism for death here. He says, they will be raised first. Now, resurrection is the central hope of the Christian faith. If we only had the cross, we would not have the hope that we have in Jesus. The cross is the place where God dealt with our sin. The resurrection is the place where God broke the final power of the last enemy, which Paul says is death. Our hope is placed in the resurrection of Jesus. It's the central dynamic of our Christian hope. So Paul addresses this issue and he, he says to them, look, I don't want you guys to be ignorant about this. And the Lord doesn't want us to be ignorant about it either. Just as Christ died and rose again, so will everyone who is in Christ. Paul wanted to address the concerns of these believers who had family and friends that had already died. He makes clear not only will they not miss out when Jesus returns, they'll get priority treatment. They're going to be the first ones to rise. That's what he says. Now, we know from what Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament that we will all experience resurrection because Jesus has already tasted death and resurrection for us. He's referred to as the first fruits of our resurrection. Paul says this, we will not all sleep. Again, sleep here is a euphemism for death. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. That is going to happen. That is the future promise for each one of us. The truth is, when he comes, we will be united with all the saints in him through resurrection. All those who are dead in Christ will be brought together. And those who are alive in him. Just think of it. You and I, whether we're dead or alive at the time of Jesus' return, will be united together with all those who are in Christ from every tribe and language and people and nation to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and reign on the earth. Revelation 5 verses 9 and 10. That's what's going to happen. Resurrection and kingdom priesthood, together with all those who belong to Jesus, is your destiny and mine in Christ. That's where we're going, people. <laughs> to those who have lost family and friends here this morning, I know I have, and many in this room, have lost dear loved ones, family members, close friends. Be encouraged that those that are in Christ will rise and we will be reunited with them. That's not like some sentimental little expression. This is a definitive promise of ours in Christ. 
To those of you who feel discouraged at the way things may be going in the world around you. Be encouraged by the greater truth that Jesus is coming, that he is going to reign, and he's going to do it on the earth. And this doesn't mean we bury our head in the sand and ignore the things that are going on around us, the injustices and the like. No, it doesn't. But it means we have a greater hope. It means our eyes are focused on the future reality of the promise of Christ in his kingdom and our part in it. And therefore, we don't sit back passively and just wait for Jesus to come. The scripture's whole imperative is that we are actively engaged in helping to usher in his return. Now, we don't know the time, the day, the hour. Only the Father knows that, right? We can't manipulate God into doing what we want him to do. God will do things in accordance with the counsel of his own will. But it is clear that we can help usher in the reality of the kingdom. We can redeem the time. We can take back territory, and I'm talking about spiritually speaking now. We can take that back territory that belongs to the future kingdom of God because everything that we do in the now has a not yet significance attached to it. Everything you do in the present now is related to the reality of the future. These things are not separated from one another. They're connected. What you do now has eternal consequence. Everything you do for Jesus and his kingdom in the present will be part of the Jesus reign and rule in the future. Thirdly, Paul says this, he's going to receive the living. He's not just going to raise the dead, he's going to receive the living. After that, those who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Those who are left, that means those who are alive. For those on the earth when Jesus comes again, and that could be you and me, it may not be. He hasn't come for 2,000 years. He could not come for another 2,000 years. He could come tomorrow. But if we're here when he comes, some things are going to happen. First, we're going to see him in the clouds with great glory. Then we're going to witness the dead in Christ being raised. We got a foretaste of that at the cross. You remember when Jesus was crucified, what had happened in that moment when he gave himself up? We're told that graves opened, people rose. That's just a picture of what's coming. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, let me just say a thing about this. Some biblical scholars think this is a metaphorical description of a spiritual reality. Others think it is a literal description of a physical reality. But the reality is, for me, and I think for all of us, that's not the consequential thing. The consequential thing is Jesus is coming and we will meet him. That's the big thing. The scripture is clear that whether we're raised... Um, 
from the dead or whether we're alive on the earth, we're going to meet him. We're going to join together with him. If we're alive when Jesus comes, we will be received into his presence. We will meet the Lord. The Greek phrase Paul uses to describe this event is caught up. And it's an expression that conveys the idea of suddenness or being suddenly snatched away. The point, though, I want you to see this morning, and don't get hung up on it, is not the process. It's the presence of the Lord. That's the issue. Those who are caught up, whatever caught up means, will meet the Lord. The term for meet means just that. It means an act of encountering. Those who are caught up with the Lord will encounter him personally. And even as they do as part of a corporate gathering of all those that the Lord will receive to himself. I want you to do something for me this morning. Think for a moment about the person in the world right now that you would most like to meet. Now, don't call out the name of who that person might be. Just think about it. The person in the world that you would most like to meet that you've not met. For some of you, that might be like an adventurer or an explorer. For others, it might be like a celebrity, perhaps a favorite sports personality, or maybe an actor or a movie star. For others, it might be an entrepreneur uh, or an inventor. Uh, for others, it might be a spiritual leader or the CEO of a, of a major corporation or a military or a political figure. For others, it might be a musician a singer, a songwriter. For others, it might be an author, a playwright, or an artist. We all tend to have someone that, because of our interests, our tastes, that we would really like to meet. Think about who that person might be for you this morning. Because whoever that person is for you, I also want you to think about the degree of anticipation an expectation that would be present in your heart and mind if you knew for sure that you were about to meet that person. Individually, personally, but also as part of a group that that person would then call his or her friends. How would you view that coming encounter? How would the prospect of meeting that person change the way you think or act in the lead up to that meeting? What would you do to prepare yourself prior to that time with that person? Do you think you'd feel and act differently? You know where I'm going with this. Now think about the fact that Paul declares that we are going to, that you are going to meet Jesus. If you're here when he returns, you will be caught up to be with him. You're going to encounter him. The one you've always wanted to see. The one that you believe in even though you do not see him, as the scripture tells us. 
the one to whom no one else compares. The matchless, majestic King of heaven, the Lord of glory. You have an appointment with him personally. You're going to see him. Paul makes it clear, if you're already dead in the Lord, you still get in on that reality. And you're, in fact, the first to do so. Because the dead in Christ should be raised first. Today, as you come to the end of the year and you prepare for the year that's coming ahead, I know this is a time when people get into New Year's resolutions of one kind or another. Their diet's going to be better. They're going to exercise more. I'm already going through that. Like, I'm going to lose this much weight. I'm going to do... We'll see, by the grace of God, whether that happens or not. I know me too well, but I'm, I'm not resting in me. I'm going to put my faith in him on that one. But let me suggest you do this at the beginning of this, uh, end of this year and the beginning of the new one. Encourage your heart with this truth. Let the Holy Spirit take the promise of the encounter with Jesus, the glorified one, and encourage you with it. You know, your life is significant to God now. Every life in this room is significant to God right now. Right where you are, whatever the circumstances are, whatever the situation is, wherever you see yourself in life, you are significant to God right now. Not when X and Y has happened, right now. Because he loves you as you are, where you are, right now. This future meeting with Jesus is the measure of your worth to him now in the present. This future meeting with Jesus that Paul describes here is the measure of your worth to him now in the present. See the reality of your present through the lens of that future promise and encounter with Jesus. Because it speaks to just how much he treasures and loves you. That he wants to meet you personally and has promised that that will happen. You are a child of God. You're not the product of, you know, chance. You are the created child of the living God. You are a jar of clay, the scripture says, in which is divine treasure. The presence of God lives in you. You're walking around on this planet with all these other human beings. God is living in you, right? God is being incarnated in his people through the Holy Spirit. You are carriers of a kingdom life. Be who you are. Let the treasure that is in you enrich not only your own life, but the life of others. And make known that kingdom of which you are already a part and for which your destiny is set. Last, Paul says this. He's going to renew unbroken fellowship. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Look at those words. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
We can't really get our head around that. That's the promise, though. Here's the climax of God's eternal purpose in Christ. It's what Tom Wright calls the overlapping of the ages, where God brings the future into the present and makes it stick there. This is God uniting heaven and earth and making all things new. Paul says, not only will we meet the Lord in the air, we will be with the Lord forever. You know the fellowship with God that was destroyed in the garden? You know, the Genesis 2 and 3 account of that severing, of that separation, of that alienation from God? Obviously, reconciliation and restoration were restored through the cross of Christ, but now they're going to be renewed in an unbroken reality for all eternity. The truth is when he comes, we will be with him always. There's never going to be a moment when we will not be with him. Now we enjoy fellowship with the Lord through the Spirit. It's precious. It's rich. And God is constantly, Paul says, taking us from one degree of glory to another. Right? 2 Corinthians 3, I think it's verse 18. 17 and 18. That's happening now. And it's wonderful. But you know what? At its best, it's not what it will be. I believe at its best, it's not even close to what it will be. Paul tells us elsewhere, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. How do we see now? But a poor reflection in a mirror. But he goes on to say, then, in the future, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What is a poor reflection now will be a perfect representation then. What is partial now will be full then. This is what Paul is saying. We will be in unbroken fellowship with Jesus forever. The separation that infected the world, and to be honest, so often infects our own lives now. I'm astounded at how little a thing can break my fellowship with God. Not because he's not there and available to me all the time, but because I go to places that I don't need to go to that forfeit the vitality of that fellowship unbroken in the present. But in the new order of God's glorious kingdom, we're told that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things that alienates from God and separates from God will be swept away. And then we're told the holy city, the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Such a language of love and intimacy here. And then there will be a loud voice from the throne, and this is what will be declared. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. That is the measure of the new order of God's kingdom when it is fully brought in. No more separation. 
continual dwelling with our God, who is our God, and we with him as his people. This is what you and I are headed towards. This is the trajectory of our life in God as his children, as his church, as those who are part of his bride. This is your hope. It's what Peter, the other apostle, who figures so much in the book of Acts, called a living hope, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power, until the coming of the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So go ahead, taste, savor, enjoy the fellowship of God in the spirit now, in the church as much as you can. But be encouraged that the intimacy that you have with him and with one another today will be even greater tomorrow. Don't hold back. Don't be passive. Press in. Get closer. Because the one you're pressing into, the one you're getting closer to, is the one that you are going to be in perfect union and fellowship with for all eternity. And me too, by the grace of God. So, let me end with this. As we say goodbye to the Christmas that's just gone, and celebrating the fact that Jesus came, Let's encourage our hearts now with that future kingdom hope that Jesus is coming. And while others may dispense with that, they may mock that, they may look around and say, yeah, yeah, sure, he's coming. Yeah, sure. 2,000 years later, yeah. Let that roll off you like water off a duck's back. Because the truth is, he is coming. And he's coming for those who are his. And he's coming to usher in a kingdom that is eternal. And this entire cosmos, not just you and me, this entire cosmos will be remade by the power of God's might, his promise, his awesome righteousness and holiness. Jesus is coming and it means he's going to return and we will see him. Jesus is coming and it means he's going to raise the dead. And we will be united with all the saints in Christ. He, Jesus is coming and he's going to receive the living. We will meet him. And Jesus is coming. He's going to renew unbroken fellowship. And we are going to be with him always. Is it any wonder that Paul says at the end of this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And if these words don't encourage our hearts, we have to realign our heart this morning. We have to refocus our vision. Paul says, encourage yourself in the present with these words about the future. And then you can move forward to that future in the present, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and accomplish what God wants you to accomplish in and through your life, which is significant to God in the unfolding of his purpose in the earth. And no one is left out of that. No one is an added extra in the play that God is putting on, as it were, if I can use that metaphor. You get where I'm going with that? 
So this morning, be encouraged. Encourage one another with this hope. You know, the second to last verse in the entire Bible is Jesus speaking and he says this. In relationship to his return. Yes, I am coming soon. Yes, I am coming soon. To which John responds, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Let's stand. If you're on the uh, ministry team this morning, I would just encourage you to come up. We'd like to give people an opportunity to pray. So if you're on the ministry team, please come forward right now. So Father, let's, uh, let's just pray together and commit this, uh, this word to, to the Lord and to our hearts. Father, we thank you this morning for the Jesus, your son, who came and for the joy uh, that this season where we have celebrated and remembering, remembered his coming has brought to each of our hearts. But Lord, we thank you that the Jesus that came once is the Jesus that's coming and that our hope is in him. Our hope, our hearts, our eyes, Lord, may they be focused on that future present a future promise, even as we walk out this present reality in the journey with you. I pray this morning that you would encourage every heart in this room. I pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit right now, that any discouragement that has uh, become resident in our hearts and minds, that you would just expel that now, Lord, that you would banish that from our lives, that we'd be freshly encouraged by the reality that Jesus is coming and all that that means as your servant Paul expressed to us, Lord, in the scripture we read this morning. Encourage our hearts with it. As we come to the end of this year and we look to a new year, Father, may we go into this year by faith, encouraged by your promise of a kingdom that is now but of a kingdom that is not yet and of a destiny that is secure in you. We love you and we bless you this morning. And I invite you, if you'd like to receive prayer this morning, uh, to come. And I, I really want to speak into this issue of encouragement. If there's anything in your life for which right now... You